I'll turn in the word of God to the passage we read in the book of Genesis chapter 11, the account that we have here of the building of the Tower of Babel. Now, some people have said, I suppose it's conjecture really, that the original language spoken on earth was the Hebrew language, the Hebrew tongue. Well, I don't know whether that's true or not. Some people say, well, it is true because the various names that we read of in these early first chapters of Genesis are all Hebrew names, and therefore it suggests that the, the first language was Hebrew, whether that's true or not. At this particular time, everybody in the world spoke the same language, whatever it was. And then it's worth noting here that um, when the word speech or language is used in the passage, the people will tell you that it really means lip, lip. And then they will tell you that uh, lip means more than language. I can prove this to you if I was to go to various other texts in the Old Testament, which we haven't got time to do now. You have to take my word for it. But they say that lip doesn't just mean language, but it means religion, or faith, or outlook on life, however you want to say it. And so we say at the beginning of time, there was but one faith, the true faith, the Christian faith, you may say, in Old Testament terms, and everybody knew that. But when you come to this chapter here, you see man in his folly, man in his willfulness, and man in his sin, breaking away from that ideal and that great purpose with which God had established the world. Well, what these people were doing was really defying God. It's true that God had told early mankind to go out into the world, to spread out, to be fruitful and to be multiply and replenish the earth and inhabit the earth and so on. To a degree they were doing that when they went out. But on the other hand, they were not doing it in obedience to God. Yes, they were defying God. And as they set up this city, and as they seek to build this tower, what are they doing? They're trying to build something. Something that will be an alternative, something different to being obedient to God, something to living according to the purposes of God. And remember, all God's purposes are good and right, noble, true, and for the benefit, for the well-being of mankind. But these people didn't believe that, and they wanted to set up their own thing, you may say. Now, people have been doing this down the centuries. It's wonderful when you read the Bible. You're looking at a few words, as we have here in this passage. Ah, but they're so full. Anybody that doesn't read the Bible regularly is missing out on the great fundamental understandings of life and the way things are in this world. We may just say that in passing. But we know that some people would put the state in place of God. People have done that. Instead of the rule of God, the rule of the state. And then we may add, 
the oppressive rule of the state, as it so often turns out if the state gets too much power. And down through the centuries, you know as well as I do, people have tried to rule like that. The Caesars of Rome, some of them saw themselves as gods. The early Christians had to offer their little snuff of incense to the emperor as God. And because they didn't do it, they were persecuted. But others have done it, as I say, down through the years. The communists have done it, as everybody knows quite well. And wherever men seem to set up something else in the place of God, there is trouble. Some people have used religion. Some people have even used the Christian religion, in a sense, as an alternative to knowing God truly and obedience to God and so on. Well, this is the sort of thing that is going on here in this passage before us now. A common, a common faith. These people here seeking to defy God. They're just saying this. We don't need God. They're saying we can build our lives, our empire, our nation, our community, our own personal lives again, I say, without God. We can do it all. We, we're clever people, and we know a lot of things, and with our skill, with our ingenuity and so on, we can do these things. So that's the setting of which we find this here. It, it, it's also true of life and the way man's heart and mind thinks so often in life. Well, we'll just look at some of the details now as we go. It tells you here, by way of details, how they were going to build this tower and this city. In verse 3, it says, uh, go to. That means, you know, this is something we're going to give ourselves to wholeheartedly. Let us make brick and burn them thoroughly or thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and they had slime for mortar. Now, what does that tell you about it? Well, it's saying this great purpose and this great plan they had, this building they were undertaking, there is something that you could see here in these clues here that says what they were building was unsubstantial. It wasn't going to last. When you see great buildings in the world, you may think of stone, granite maybe, something solid, something permanent, something that's built to last. Held together with fine mortar, you may say, or whatever they use. These things, I think, are intended to show us Something by way of the inadequacy of what these men here were trying to do. Bricks made out of clay, slime for mortar. And they're going at this at a tremendous rate, we may say. It's as if we may use the term, they were all busily employed, all at this great project that had been set before them. And you know when people tend to go at things in a fanatical sort of a way, as it seems to be these people were doing, these people who have these ideas and this outlook on life, and they're all busily at it. It says something about them. 
Everybody that comes into this world has a conscience. We know that. Mr. Calvin reminds us that everybody that comes into the world knows there is a God. So how they deny it? So how they bury it? They know certain things. And you can't doubt that these people, as they were seeking to build this tower, knew very well in their heart of hearts they were defying God. They were waving their fist to God. They knew it. So they go at it all the harder, with great determination to quieten that voice that's deep down in their hearts that says, what you are doing is wrong. There are some people, and they know the way that they're living their life. We all came to it, all those who call ourselves Christians. We came to a point in our life we weren't building towers or cities, but we knew we were building a life without any reference to God. We knew we were doing wrong. We knew by reading this book and the, and the light of the Holy Spirit upon its pages that what we were doing was not substantial. We're not satisfied. We're not due. You, you know that poem. I fled him down the nights and down the, the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. We know something of that. As God was working in our lives. Conscience is a very good thing. It's a very important thing. We could say a lot about conscience. These people had a conscience. And I say again, they knew they were doing they were doing wrong. Let us make brick. They have these opportunities. Let us build this tower. That is what they're doing. Now, we could just pause for a minute and say, now, how are we building our lives? Are we building in defiance of God? Are we gathering this? Are we doing that? Are we expertise in this or whatever? It's all, all perhaps totally legitimate. But we may be leaving God out. It would be a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing to live our lives to the glory of God. Years ago, there was, I call him an evangelist, a preacher he was, came from Australia. His name was Fletcher, Lionel Fletcher. I don't know that much about him, but I know this about this man. He had a very strong personality. He had a very winsome way with him. He had that gift of communication, you might say. And he had a brother as well. And his brother was a believer. And one day, he challenged this man, Lionel Fletcher, and said to him, Lionel, he said, uh, you've got a very winsome personality. You can influence people. And you are not a Christian. And you've got to think of this. In your life, you could either influence a great many people for good or you would influence a great many people for ill. Think about it. What are you going to do? Well, it went to his heart. And he knew it's time for him to stop building the godless life of Lionel Fletcher 
and to seek mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ and build a better life. And he did, by the grace of God. And he became a preacher. And he did influence a great many people for good at that period of time. Now, we could turn this whole thing around for a minute and say, well, there are a lot of negative lessons here, a lot of warnings of not, what not to do. But you could look at this just for the sake of what we're doing here now in, in a slightly different light. Touches on what we were doing this morning for a few minutes. What you would have to admire in these people was their diligence, their determination, their dedication, their resolve to do this thing. And then you may say, oh yes, but they weren't doing the right thing, were they? No, they weren't. But we have such things as determination. We have such things as resolve. We have such a gift sometimes of ingenuity and determination and so on. And we say, and what are we doing with it? I'm talking to Christians for a minute. You, you see that they couldn't get hold of stones, so they used bricks. They, they improvised, you may say. They couldn't get hold of mortar, so they used slime. They weren't easily daunted. It was a tremendous task they were setting themselves to do. But nothing was going to daunt them. Inventiveness, determination, overcoming obstacles, and all this kind of thing. We can say, well done, Babel builders. Ah, yes. But we are not building Babel. But we need that same sort of attitude to what we are doing. David Brainard, you'll have heard of him, the great missionary of old times. And he wore himself out serving the Lord, you know that. And in the end, he was confined to his bed. He was bedridden. But when somebody went to visit him in bed, all his activities almost ceased, but not ceased really. So what was he doing? He was teaching a whole group of children how to read. That is how to read the Bible. And he said this, if I can't serve God in one way, I'll serve him in another. There is something we can all do. There is a hymn. Some people don't like singing it. They think it's wrong, but it isn't wrong. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. And we know about the parable of the talents, do we not? And everybody has something that they can do, be it great or small. We know about William Carey as well. His famous saying, I can plod, I can plod, I can plod. And there's a good scope and there is a good place for the plodders of this world in the church of Jesus Christ to plod on, uh, to keep going. Yes, that's it. There was the woman who only had two mites. And she threw them uh, into the temple collection, as it were. She only had a few talents, a few mites. But she used it to the glory of God and she will be ever remembered for it. Yes, you can admire these Babel builders in the sense uh, of their determination and ingenuity. Are we using it ourselves? Matthew Henry has some interesting comments on the builders of Babel. I'll tell you what he says. He said, um, what a difference between men's building and God's. 
This is a different point, really, but I'm putting it in here. What's the difference between men's building and God's? When men build their babel, brick, and slime are the best they can use. But when God builds his Jerusalem, he lays the foundations in sapphires and its borders in pleasant stones. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires. That is what God does when he is building our lives as Christians. He's laying a good foundation. Foundation that will stand whatever may come to us. Whatever temptation may rage. Whatever troubles, illness, loss, bereavement, sorrow. Whatever comes. Building our lives on a firm foundations. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcid, and the fourth an emerald, and so on, and so on, and so on. Building, building life. Well, what about the motives these people had? We all have motives, don't we? Why we do things. And it's written down here in verse 4. Let us make a name. Let us make a name for ourselves, is what it's saying. Let us make a name for ourselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a good name, is there? Good name is better than ointment. It would be good if the people who knew us gave us a good name for our honesty, our integrity, whatever it may be, our faithfulness to our word, our helpfulness, a good name. It's right to have such a good name. But on the other hand, if we're just living for ourselves and what we can do for ourselves, oh, I'll make something of myself. Nothing wrong with that in one sense. But if it's just pride that's driving us, if it's just self-aggrandizement that is our end and our goal, we are sure to be disappointed in life. What is our motive? Oh, some people will say, what's your motive in life? They say, let's have a good time. to enjoy myself. We're only here for so long. Let's eat, drink and be merry and tomorrow we die. Well, others have more serious motives. I want to build a nice family. Yes, we do. We all want that. I want to build this. I want to build that. But it was alongside all these things, or over all these things, perhaps we should say, we're seeking to glorify God. That will put everything in its right perspective. What is man's chief end but to glorify God and to enjoy him forever? It's a wonderful saying that, isn't it? It sets before us the whole point and purpose of life, life in all its fullness. Rewarding life, useful life. Chief end to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The enjoying him forever is really where real enjoyment, solid joyous and lasting treasures we sometimes sing about. That is the enjoyment of God. Oh, it's beyond our description. But let us have this motive, not making a name for ourselves, but glorifying God. What about when we choose a career? A very important aspect of life 
our career, our work, our trade, whatever. Whatever we do, can we say it's to the glory of God? Or what about selecting a husband or a wife? A vital decision to be made in life. But is it going to be to the glory of God? Will my marrying this girl or this girl marrying this boy, will that work out for the furtherance of the gospel and the glory of God? They're important decisions to make. What about our friends and associates and so on? all comes under the same thing. Places we go, things we get involved in. Will this work out for the glory of God? Yes, they had a motive, these people, and it was self, self-directed. Live for self and live in vain. That's how it goes, isn't it? Well, we could say that, couldn't we? Now, they're building this tower. Why are they building a tower, you may say? You can understand Building a city, a town, that seems sensible enough, you understand. But why a tower? Those people have had different ideas about it. Some say they were somewhat anxious about there being another flood. They're living after the flood, of course, and we're no doubt the news of that and, and that event had made a very big impact at that time on their thinking, oh yes, we will defy God. We're far brighter than these things that people are telling us, preachers and so on. We can handle that. We'll build a tower. And whatever rains may fall, whatever floods may come, we'll be safe. We'll be up the top of our tower. Well, it could be that. It could be that. And some say it was to escape from wild animals. You know, all the animals that came out of the ark had gone into the world and were multiplying and so on. Well, maybe that was what it was, fear of something. You might say this, fear can haunt the souls of men and women, can it not? We live in an age of anxiety, they say. You've heard that saying before, I know. But it is an age where people are fearful of this. Fearful of that. Some people are fearful of their own shadow. We feel sorry for them. Well, fear of nuclear war. Fear of pandemic. What a, what a, what a commotion that caused. Fear. Fear. Well, fear, fear was there with these people. But if they truly knew God, I'm saying a big thing here. If they truly knew God, they wouldn't have such fears. I know Christians have fears. I do. But our fears are surmounted when we remember whose we are. Who is our God? Fear him, ye saints, and ye shall then have nothing else to fear. That's something that really is important to grasp, isn't it? And we were only thinking of death being defeated, which haunts everybody this morning. Yes, they had fears, and if we're living a Christless life, we will never be satisfied. And we'll never be at true peace within. We'll be haunted by fears of this and fears of the other. Not that to become a Christian will do away with every fear and all the troubles of life. No, it won't. But it'll put us on a good footing and a good foundation. Trust in Christ. And in him we shall overcome 
whatever may come to us in this world. Martin Luther doesn't say they built the tower because fear of a flood, no fear of wild animals, but he says is so that they could reach up to heaven. Well, these days, I think I'm right to say a great number of people think they'll go to heaven when they die. Who never had a passing thought about the well-being of their souls or considered what Christ did on the cross to save his people from their sins. They've never looked deep into their hearts and realized that they're rebels against God, just like these people. They've never taken any of these things, certainly, and they've just lived life as they, they thought it was right to do so and all the rest of it. And then when they come to die, they say, oh, yes, we'll go to heaven. We can get there somewhere or other. Well, these people perhaps thought that. Let us make a tower that will reach up the top, may reach up into heaven, verse 4. But no, it wasn't to be. And there is only one way of getting to heaven, really. And that is, as you know, so many of you so well, it's when we really come to the end of ourselves and cry that haughty monster is laid low and we humble ourselves, or we are humbled, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to see ourselves, not so much as others see us, but as God sees us. And we're sorry, and we repent, and we cry, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as we put our trust in Christ, we know that our sins are cancelled, and we are on our way to heaven. It's a wonderful way to live, you know, with that eye on glory and that eye on heaven. Well, it says then in verse 5 that the Lord, and that's in capital letters, as you know, it always means the Lord Jehovah, the Lord in all his majesty, dominion, and power. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded, had built. And you know what I'm going to say about that. In the eyes of God, all their brilliance, yes, they were brilliant in many ways, all their ingenuity, all their efforts, all their skills, all their determination, all their hard work, was so minute, so microscopic, in so many ways so insignificant, that God has to come down. It's using imagery here because God doesn't work like this, but God has to come down and see what these people are doing on their little anthill. It's humbling man's pride, is it not? Yes, he comes down to see what these Babel builders are doing. And what does God see when he comes down? He sees breakdown. That's what happened here. These people are scattered. Their language is confused. What a picture that is. Is there not confusion in the world today? It's all around us. 
When you say we will not have this God rule over us, confusion ensues. And you say it in your own life, I don't need God. You're confused, and it always will be. You'll never find meaning, you'll never find purpose, you'll never find direction. Confusion reigned. Well, we must shortly sum up now. The tower, what happened to it? Well, he doesn't tell you. <laughs> they ceased working on it. <laughs> Maybe in the fullness of time it fell down. But it came to nothing. We can say that. It's remained while it remained as a monument to man's folly and man's willfulness and man's futile attempt to defy God. We know this as we draw to a close. It's not to be left there, the story, is it? Sometimes when you come to these great long genealogies, lists of the generations in Scripture, you do what I did. I shouldn't have done, really. But we miss them out. But we shouldn't really miss them out. Because they're all purposeful. Babel is there now in ruins. And then straight away in the 10th verse of our passage, it says, these are the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old in Baghdad. Uh, Alphax had two years after the flood, and so on. Gives you a genealogy. Culminating in the coming onto the scene appointed by God, Abraham, the father of the faithful. What we're seeing here is the purpose of God continuing in spite of what man was trying to do. This great purpose which was leading towards the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. When it says God came down, yes, you can apply it like I did just now. But you can also remind yourself that in the fullness of time, God came down in the fullness of our Savior Jesus Christ, in the likeness of our Savior Jesus Christ. And at the end of time, he shall come down to judge both the quick and the dead, the comings down of God. Yes, all that's in the purposes of God. But these rebellious people, their language, their tongue confused. And then again, you know what I'm going to say. It's put rights in the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, and so on. They all heard in their own tongue the wonderful works of the Lord. Some people say this. How does that list begin? Parthia, Parthians, Medes, etc. Some say, I don't know whether they're right, but they may well be. Where is Parthia? You may say. Was here. Babel, Babylon. These people have sunk so low, the gospel message comes. Yes, there is a remedy. There is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. Well, we'll draw to a close at that. But now the scriptures speak to us, as we said at the beginning, in so few lines. They analyze so much of the human situation.
And when it is interesting to hear commentators and analysts of the current situation and so on, but you won't find anything of the caliber of the usefulness of the truly insightful messages you find here in Scripture. He who reads this book is wise, and he who trusts its Savior is safe forever, and all the other blessings that come out of that. So we leave off there and sing our final hymn, which is the...